Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about when anxiety and or OCD causes poor behavior and meltdowns. And I think this gets confusing because a lot of times people don't realize their kids have anxiety or OCD or don't realize that that really poor behavior or those incredibly intense meltdowns are due to the anxiety or OCD. So we were talking about that in my private Facebook group this week, and there was an ongoing thread about it. And it seemed like this is something that a lot of us struggle with. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to bump the topic that I was going to talk about this week, and I'll move this one up because it seems really relevant. So you're going to have to bear with me today because I am completely exhausted. My five-year-old is sick, and they're all supposed to be at camp today. And nobody is anywhere but here because she's sick, so she didn't want to go to camp, which means my seven-year-old son doesn't feel like he needs to go to camp. And so my like quiet Wednesday has turned into my like chaotic Wednesday. So you're going to hear a lot of screaming in the background. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, yeah, you might, but whatever. Thank goodness there is a pause button on this recording. So it will just be kind of a process. And then the other thing is that I'm exhausted because my, so my daughter, my five-year-old has a cough and my 13-year-old this past month got croup. And it's so weird. She always gets croup, even though she's 13. So it's pretty unusual. It's pretty rare for a 13-year-old to get croup. And then I'm pretty sure they all got like vaccinated for the croup. But she has periodically gotten croup her entire life where we've had to go to the emergency room. And this past month, she had a sore throat. I'm talking about my 13-year-old now. She had like a sore throat and she wasn't feeling well. And then she woke up in the middle of the night and she couldn't breathe. And she'd gone to the doctor like that day. And the doctor was like, yeah, it could be allergies or, you know, just an irritation in your throat. So she woke up at like two in the morning, couldn't breathe, rushed her to the emergency room and her throat was almost completely closed and talk about scary. So they gave her steroids and opened up her throat, but it made me really paranoid last night because that was only a month ago. So I slept on the couch so I could hear my daughter, my youngest daughter, if she was having a hard time breathing because I'm totally anxious and paranoid and she was fine. And now I'm exhausted because I had no sleep and they're all home today. So there you go. That's what's happening at my house. How's your house? And that is related to what we're going to be talking about, because if you have a child with anxiety or OCD, maybe things are a little bit tense at your house because When you have a really anxious kid or a child with OCD, they often are building up a lot of stress and they get really angry or really irritable, especially if they're not good at communicating about their anxiety or about their OCD. So I want to talk about that today because this is something that, of course, I eat, live and breathe and not really with two of my children, but with my son. And I do find, I'm going to stereotype now, so hold on a second. I do find that in general, but not always, this tends to happen more with boys than with girls. Now, I've had plenty of girls in my practice have really, really difficult behavior 
because of their OCD or anxiety. But boys tend to have more of an issue with this because they tend to be less communicative about anxiety. Not always, but in general. So I want to talk to you about how can you tell the difference between what is caused by anxiety or OCD and what is just typical behavior? Just because you have an anxious child or a child with OCD doesn't mean that they don't have typical behavior as well. I think that's what's always the tricky part is you have to look at A, like typical behavior because they're going to have that in typical parenting moments because they're going to have that. And what is an anxiety moment or what is an OCD moment? So it's not a coincidence that there is a term called OCD storm. And that is because a lot of children with OCD and, and I'm sure adults as well, they build up all of this anger and the stress and they have OCD storms, which are OCD meltdowns, which are intense and they're overwhelming and they're unpredictable and they come out of nowhere. And the tricky thing is anxiety and OCD, even though they're similar, the the meltdowns are caused by different things. So we'll, I'll try to break it down on both levels so that I'm talking to people who are both dealing with anxiety and or OCD. So let's take anxiety first. So if you have an anxious child and there'll be an overlap, so this might be, I might talk about your child in two different categories, but let's say your child is having a meltdown and it seems unprovoked. You want to take a look at what happened prior to the meltdown happening. So was there an obvious trigger? You know, if the sister is sitting there and she looks very sheepish and you're kind of like, hmm, you look a little guilty, then probably something typical has happened to trigger the meltdown. But if your child is just coming home from school and they literally walked through the door and they're having a meltdown because you said, are you hungry? Then you're looking at a different category of behavior than your typical behavior. Now, maybe they're overly hungry or they're overly tired and a child doesn't have to be anxious to have mood instability caused by being hungry or being tired. Anxious kids and kids with OCD tend to get even worse when they're hungry or tired. And so that definitely exasperates it. But, you know, kids without that can have that as well. So, you know, look at the situation and try to assess whether this is out of the blue or whether there's an obvious thing that's causing it. Now with my child, I can tell when he is revving up because of his anxiety. Now, the hard part is it doesn't look like anxious behavior at all. And in fact, it's not normally in an anxiety producing situation. It's a buildup. And so I kind of equate it in my practice when I'm talking to little kids, well, even older kids and even my son, I talk about it like red swirls. And so I talk about how like we build up red swirls and I draw these like stick figures because I'm weird like that. And I draw these like swirls that are growing in the body. And if they don't take care of it, I kind of draw like a little stick at the top and then I make them explode. (laughs) It's probably inappropriate. No, it's not. It's fine. But I let them know that when they build up either their stress and their anxiety or their anger, and they don't let it out in some fashion, then it will explode. And unfortunately, sometimes it'll explode on all of us. And I talk to kids about how it's contagious And the final straw might be something really minor. And so you might be like, oh my gosh, you're freaking out about a waffle. You don't like the way I cut it, but it's not about the waffle. It might be about the last two days that have happened prior, 
or it might be about the really rough school day they just had before they came home to have a snack. And so don't always hyper-focus on what happened just before if there's really no obvious trigger, because a lot of times parents get wrapped up in that and they're kind of like, what is your deal? I mean, you just got home and you're already freaking out. What is your problem? And that's really the wrong approach. So when you're trying to figure out whether it's anxiety or OCD or just pure typical behavior, you want to look at if there was a trigger. So if there was no trigger and you think that maybe your child's been having some stress in the last few days, then it's most likely due to their anxiety. If they have OCD, a lot of times kids are so in their head, they have so much compulsive behavior going on in their head that you don't know about that they are exhausted and you might be interrupting a compulsion or you might be um, contaminating something that you're not aware of. And that's more often where I see the OCD explosions happening. So it's a little bit different than anxiety. You know, you're either triggering them by doing something that is contaminating or is going against what their OCD wants. And maybe they don't want to say it because they don't want the whole lecture or they don't want to process it with you or they don't want to work on it with you. And so they don't say anything. Or it could be that they're doing so many compulsions in their head and you keep disrupting them or things aren't going their way that they finally explode. And it can look, it can look sudden and out of the blue. So some of the kids I've worked with who have had OCD meltdowns, they'll tell me, like I have this one child and I remember her telling me, you know, my room, this is her talking now, my room is, you know, contamination free. So I go in there at night, I've already showered. Everything is, you know, nice and clean the way that I want it in her irrational contamination free distortion. And her mom maybe just walks right into her room to give her a hug and say goodnight. And so to the mom, it's like, oh my gosh, I went in there to give her a hug goodnight and she flipped a switch. She went psychotic on me. She started screaming and she told me to get out. And, you know, the mom will come into my session and she'll say, I think she has some anger issues. And this actually happened where the mom brought her in for anger issues she was not diagnosed with OCD. No one thought she had OCD. She was coming in purely for anger and irritability. And her mom was like, I don't know if she has a mood disorder. I don't know what her deal is. And eventually when I started talking to this girl, she started to tell me how her room needed to be contaminated free and how her mom needs to take a shower before she can come into her bedroom. And apparently the mom normally takes a shower at night and wasn't aware that she was kind of abiding by some sort of ritualistic behavior that was appeasing her daughter's undiagnosed OCD. But normally her mom would go take a shower and then would come in and give her a kiss goodnight. But her mom didn't take a shower that night because I guess life got busy and she came in without being showered. And so she was contaminated and her daughter freaked out. So I give you that as an example, because that looks like anger. That looks like irrationality. It looks like mood instability. And really that's purely an OCD issue. Now for anxiety, I can give you lots of examples that are closer to my home. So if my son comes home from school, especially at the beginning of the school year, he has some indicators that he's having an anxious time. So one of those indicators, which has nothing to do with behavior, is that he gets a red ring around his mouth. He excessively licks his lips and wipes his mouth when he's nervous. And so I can always tell 
when he's going through an anxiety period based on his lips. It was actually really nice because, you know, I can just visually see it. But even if I didn't have that, he will come home and he'll be tightly wound. And I can just tell right away. I mean, I guess I'm good at reading him anyway. Well, most of the time, but he'll come in and he'll, sometimes he'll talk in baby talk, which I hate baby talk is my like nemesis. So sometimes that's an indication to me that he's uncomfortable and then he'll be like biting his sister's heads off and nothing has happened except that he went to school. So in anxiety, it's a lot about just looking and assessing what's been happening in their days and weeks before the mood change. And sometimes kids won't listen. They'll have a lot of oppositional behavior and Sometimes oppositional behavior is due to a particular reason. So sometimes it's because the child doesn't want to do something because they're afraid. And so they become really oppositional. And so if you have a child that's normally pretty laid back, easygoing, and all of a sudden they're being ridiculously oppositional, then you want to take a look at what are they being oppositional about? And a lot of the times it's because maybe they're embarrassed, you know, For instance, I had asked my son to get his bathing suit on to go to camp and he didn't want to wear his bathing suit because he was worried that nobody else was going to wear their bathing suit. And so he was refusing to get dressed. And so on the surface, it looked like he was being really difficult. I'm like, get your bathing suit on. And he's like, no, kind of that baby talk drives me crazy. And I'm like, get your bathing suit on. We're going to be late. No, you know, that kind of thing. And because I'm kind of keyed into him. I, and he doesn't normally give me a hard time getting dressed in the morning. That was an indication to say, okay, he's, he's seeming like he's oppositional. He's refusing to do what I want him to do, but what's going on. And so I pause and I'm like, what's the worst part about getting your bathing suit on? You know me, if you listen to any of my podcasts, it's like my favorite thing to say to any kid is what's the worst thing about blah, blah, blah. And I like it because it's really effective. And so he's like, I don't know if anyone else is wearing a bathing suit. And so it's like, ah, there it is. Right. And then I deal with that. Another thing that completely triggers my son is one of his main anxiety themes is getting hurt. I mean, no kid likes to get hurt, right? I mean, everybody doesn't like to get hurt, but that's like one of his main anxiety themes. Like he'll be very avoidant for anything that can possibly get him hurt. So when somebody hurts him, mainly his vicious sisters, (laughs) Or, you know, if we accidentally tap him or he gets hurt, he gets really aggressive, like crazy aggressive. He does this thing with his arms where he does like this windmill thing where he's coming at you. (laughs) It's really not funny because it's kind of scary when he's in that like rage where he's like, I'm going to take somebody down kind of aggressive. And so normally he'll freak out because somebody's hurt him and he got he gets really overwhelmed and anxious that it happened to him. It sounds weird, but that's kind of what it is. So that is another sign that it's more of an anxiety thing and and not him being just aggressive. I mean, yes, he is being aggressive, but he's being aggressive because it triggered his anxiety. So that was a lot of information about how to differentiate between anxiety and OCD and just regular poor behavior and meltdowns. I want to talk about how to address this behavior. And then at the end, I want to talk to you about how to maybe just prevent this behavior in general, what you can do to kind of encourage some skill building so that you don't have to go through this all the time. Wouldn't that be nice? You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more 
parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay. The best way to address this behavior is, this is going to sound very counterintuitive, but you really don't want to discipline the behavior in the moment. So I'm going to tell you two different things that contradict themselves. So bear with me. For starters, you don't want to excuse your child's behavior because it's anxiety. So you're like, well, okay, that's confusing because you just said to not discipline it. Hang, hang in there. So I always tell my kids, let's say we'll talk about my child who's like doing his like little windmill arm thing going on when he's angry. I'll say it is, it's not okay to hurt other people. I understand that you're upset, but it's never okay to hit. So you want to keep your, your rules and you want to keep your boundaries and don't make excuses because, well, they're anxious or, well, you know, they're having a lot of OCD. No behavior is still unacceptable. And so you still verbalize that it's not okay to hit. I know you're anxious about blah, 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 but it's still not okay to hit, or it's not okay to say no. I know that you're having a hard time today because you're nervous about blah, blah, blah. What is this? Blah, blah, blah. It sounds horrible. (laughs) but it's still not okay to say no to me. So you're definitely setting firm expectations because those boundaries need to be really, really solid. Because if you remember, we talked about this in episode 21, that you want to have very firm, predictable boundaries. So don't lose that just because you know where this behavior is coming from. Now, having said that, you don't want to react in a typical parenting sort of way. Let me explain. Let's take my son, for example, because he's just so fun to, to use as an example. If he came home and this actually happens quite a lot, um, but we're getting so much better. So about, I would say two years ago, we were really like knee deep into this where it was not pleasant. Let me see. How old is he? Seven. So yeah, maybe around four and five were like really difficult years because he had a lot of anxiety and we're just starting to build his skills. And so he would come home and rage, or if something triggered his anxiety, he would rage. He didn't seem like an anxious kid. He seemed like an angry kid. And it was really difficult. He's seven. And so he is so much better. And we'll talk about this at the end, why he's so much better, how we use his skills. I'm not going to lie to you. He still has his ridiculously bad days, but they are few and far between because he does have skills that he taps into. So in the past, he'd come home really angry And my knee jerk reaction would be to just totally discipline him. I mean, I just wanted to like, be like, you are so grounded. You are not having any electronics. You are going to be in your room all night. You are not getting dinner. No, I'm just kidding. But like, I just wanted to be like, you know, parent boot camp on him, but that wouldn't be effective. And it wouldn't be effective with your kids too, if it's anxiety based, because disciplining it isn't going to help. They actually will get worse. And sometimes that's a way that you can tell whether it's anxiety or just typical behavior, because typical behavior will respond to discipline. But if it's anxiety or OCD, it's like fuel on the fire. It's going to make it worse. So with my son, I'll just give you an example. He'd come home in a really angry mood and he's lashing out at his sisters for like nothing. And so instead of sending him to his room and getting really angry with him and, you know, we do three strikes, you're out at my house. And so I could strike him out really quick that wouldn't be effective. 
So normally I will, I would, this is going to sound totally weird, but I would hug him and I would take him into my room where he wasn't around his sisters because he doesn't like to get embarrassed easily. He doesn't want to talk in front of other people. So be aware of that with your kids too, because so many anxious kids are really sensitive and get embarrassed and don't want to talk about things in front of other people, even their siblings. So I'd pull him aside and I'd be like, you're not okay. You're having a really rough day. So I wouldn't ask him. I would tell him. And then I would say, what can I do for you? Maybe you had a bad day or maybe something bad happened, but I know right now you're not okay. Now, sometimes when I first started doing this, I would get some pushback. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. You know, leave me alone. You know, that you might get that. But as I did this more often, you know, he would, he would either one, tell me what happened that day. Yeah, I had a bad day. You know, my friend did blah, blah, blah. There's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm not very creative. He would either tell me what happened or he would just nod and he would agree that he had a really rough day. Or he might tell me I had a really rough night. I had nightmares all night. I didn't get to sleep and I'm really tired. So eventually when I started to call him on his behavior and say, you're not okay. Are you okay? He started to realize what it felt like in his body to not be okay. Once my son realized that I understood where his emotions were and that he was struggling, there was some reprieve in his aggressive behavior and he felt heard and he felt understood. And then I would normally tell him, you know what? I don't think you're okay to be around people right now. You're in a really rough place. And in my house, I call it swirly because I use the red swirl analogy with my own kids and with the kids I work with. So he already knows what that means. And so I'll say, you know, you're really swirly. Your swirls are really big. And I think that you probably should be alone to get those swirls down. And so I'll give them choices. I'll say, you know, you can stay in my room and, you know, I can get your iPad and you can watch TV or you can play on your iPad and you can have a snack in here and I'll close the door and your sisters won't be able to bother you. Or you can go in your room and have some quiet time. So I don't tell him he has to stay in a room and I give him some choices, but I let him know that he's not okay to be around people and he's probably going to explode if he's around people. So he should probably reset and have some alone time. Now, what I've done is I'm basically training him to one, be aware of his own body and when he's having stress and to realize when he needs to go into his room or be by himself and not be around other people. So that has helped. The other thing that you can do when your child is having some negative behavior and you think it's anxiety-based is identify what that is for your child and talk for them and then let them know that if they let people know why they're having that emotion, that it will be more well-received than their anger. I know that kind of didn't even make any sense. Let me give you an example. So, and I'm sure that some of these examples are completely not pertinent to you. So you're going to have to just generalize it to your situation because, you know, every, everybody's situation is going to be different and it's going to look different. So this morning, (laughs) actually probably like two hours ago, my daughter hit my son and I believe it was an accident. I think it was an accident. I wasn't watching. I don't know, but he got really angry and he was about to scream And then he said, 
you scared me because you were going to hurt me and that really hurt bad. And then my older daughter said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. And then he kind of like held it together. And then I said to him, I like the way that you told her that that scared you. Because if you tell people that it scares you instead of freaking out and getting really aggressive or hitting them, they're going to respond in that really nice way. Did you notice that she just said, I'm sorry, but if you went and you hit her, she would have hit you back and then you would have gotten hurt more. So I'm kind of jumping the gun on talking about how to keep these skills and how to reduce the ongoing meltdowns, but it's just a mishmash. It's, it's kind of how it always goes on these podcasts, but that's what it would look like as you progress. So initially you're just going to label it and be like, that scared you, or, you know, you're angry right now because you don't want to go to bed and you're scared to go to sleep. And so it's making you very angry or you're really angry. You don't want to get dressed because you don't want to go to school. And I know that school is anxiety producing for you. What I'm teaching you to do is to ignore the negative behavior and call out the anxiety behavior. So you're calling out what is potentially making them anxious without addressing the negative behavior in the moment. Because if you address the negative behavior, you're missing the core issue, which is actually the anxiety or the OCD. So if you have a child with OCD, you might say, did something happen with your OCD that's causing you to be angry? Or, you know, what number are you with your OCD right now? Do a one to 10. I actually just did a video for my YouTube channel on how to develop communication and language for anxiety and OCD. And I'll leave a link in the show notes because that'll be something really good to watch because if you have better language and better communication with, you know, your child's anxiety or OCD and to what level they are, whether it's one to 10 or in a color, you know, a red, yellow, or green, then you'll be able to navigate these moods a lot better because you can say, you know, Hey, what stress number are you? And then if they're like, I'm a 10, then you're like, okay, obviously this, these are correlated. Now, when you have really young kids, you're not going to be able to do any of this because this is all for older kids who have some ability to communicate and articulate and connect the dots when you help them. For really little kids, sometimes I recommend a break tent or some sort of like little meltdown tent. You can probably call it something a little bit more positive than that. But I did write an article forever ago on how to create a break tent. And you just want to put a lot of things in there, like heavy cushions and fidget toys, if they're not making you crazy already, and coloring books and things that whatever help relax your child or noise canceling headphones, it's going to be different for every kid. And your child isn't going to necessarily go in there automatically. In fact, they're not going to because toddlers and preschoolers aren't going to naturally go to their tent, but you can suggest it. And if it's in their room and they're out of control, you might say, you need to spend time in your room. You know, why don't you get cozy in your break tent and calm down? Now, ironically, eventually they do start doing these things themselves. So a lot of these skill building techniques, it's like planting seeds or not seeing the sprouts or the flowers blossom for a couple of years. So be patient and lay the foundation because now at seven, my child will get angry and he'll say, I'm going to my room and nobody come in, you know, or I'm going to go to mom's room and nobody, nobody bother me. That's amazing. 
because it used to not be that way. He was, he wasn't able to identify his emotions and realize that he's not okay. So that's big progress. So when you have really, really young kids, you can start doing these skills, but don't get disappointed or disillusioned if you're not seeing progress right away, because most of what you pour into toddlers and preschoolers isn't going to reap any award for a few years, but it's so worth it. You don't want to be just starting to build skills when they get older because you've wasted all that valuable time. So to sum up, you want to differentiate whether your child is having behavioral issues because they're just a kid or because you see an increase in their anxiety over the last few weeks, days, months, whatever, or increase in their OCD compulsions. And then if you do say, okay, this is anxiety or this is their OCD, then you don't want to discipline the behavior. You want to verbalize your expectations, but then you want to do the counterintuitive response and you want to engage them with the anxiety or the OCD and not discipline the behavior. So I do this with my son all the time. Like I'll give him a hug when he's acting the most prickly, you know, and my other kids are kind of like, are you kidding me? Like you're giving him a hug and he is being the biggest snot in the world and they don't get it. And even my husband, I think at times looks at me like, why are you babying him? And I think people don't understand. It's not babying. I'm de-escalating him. And so I can give him a hug and I can be really goofy or silly. I do one of my weird voices. <laughs> the latest thing that I've been doing, which is totally weird, which I don't know if I should do it on this podcast, but when my kids are fighting, so this is not really anxiety related, but when they're fighting, I just develop these new characters. And so I'll do the, these weird accents. I've decided I'm not going to do it on the podcast. <laughs> you don't need to hear my weird accents, but I have like this New York accent and I have this British accent. And so I named these characters. And so when they're fighting, I'll, I'll do these different characters. But recently my son was acting, um, difficult. We were actually on a really short trip for the last few days and it was overstimulating and he was just going berserk. You know, he just, he just runs up and down the halls, you know, and he's bouncing on the hotel bed and, you know, his hyperactivity is increased. And a lot of times I'll notice that when he is overstimulated or he's in a new environment, a new situation he can't control, he tends to get hyperactive. And instead of just constantly shouting at him and being like, get down and stop doing that and calm down, which we normally do that. And it's, it's not effective. I went into my little accent, you know, and I was like, this is Butch and Butch doesn't like what you're doing and you better stop because your mom, she doesn't even want to talk to you right now. <laughs> That's my New York accent. It was kind of like Boston. I don't know what that is, but he laughs and he's like, that is so funny. And so he'll say stuff like, well, when's my mom coming back? And I'll be like, I don't know when she's coming back, but you better stop because she's not going to put up with this that much longer. And so he can, he can laugh at that. And then it just it breaks the tenseness from the situation. And it also kind of gets him to release a lot of his stress and his anxiety. So when you can be funny, you know, that's a good thing, especially when the behavior is caused by anxiety, because the more you become, um, boot campish and strict, the worse their behavior is going to get. So I'll spare you the British accent. Maybe sometime I'll do that one. <laughs> I think one really bad accent per episode is probably enough for you, right? So I hope that that helps you with your people at your house. I know it's not fun and it just seems like a lot of work parenting kids with anxiety and OCD. But once you improve the communication and you do these kind of skill building methods that I'm talking about, it does get a little bit better. They're going to hit bumps and they're going to get into bad moods again. And you're going to be like, yikes, this is so tiring. 
but then it gets better and things look up again. So I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week and I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will talk to you next Tuesday. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.